Amen. Thank you, Naomi. Always appreciate hearing you sing. And I don't know if I've ever heard that song before. I love Christmas, don't you? And I love the Christmas decorations up here and thankful for all those that came out earlier in the week to put all that up. I know that's a big job and it looks good and we appreciate your ministry in doing that. Well, let's go to Luke chapter 9. If you have your Bibles this morning, Luke chapter 9. And I'm very grateful to uh, have the opportunity to preach the Bible. And uh, I love this church. And uh, it's made such a difference in, in my life, in my family's life since we've been here. And I love our pastor. And uh, I'm just excited about what God's doing in this place. And, um, and these are exciting days. Uh, I believe, to, to live in. I think it's the greatest time in the history of the world to be alive and to serve Jesus. And I hope that uh, you're doing your part and you're actively engaged in the, the work of God. And uh, I just hope that you're excited about it, about serving the Lord. As you come to Luke chapter 9, hear the gospel according to Luke, ninth chapter, you find here quite the contrast. And one of the ways the Lord teaches us is by showing us great contrast. And I don't know one in all the gospel records that's more vivid than the one that I'm about to show you this morning. As a matter of fact, it's, when you read it, it's almost like you're living in two different worlds. The famous painter, Raphael, painted one final painting before he died. And in that painting, he depicted both of these stories that we're going to look at this morning. And at the top of the painting was one story, and at the bottom of the painting was another. It's one of the most stark contrasts on a piece of canvas that you'll ever see. And long before he painted it, the Holy Spirit of God put it here in Scripture uh, for us to read. And so we come to Luke chapter 9, and let's begin reading here in verse 28. The Bible says, And it came to pass about an eight days after these sayings, He took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. I want to pause for just a moment, if I may. This is the famous account of the Mount of Transfiguration. And I would have loved to have been Peter, James, and John standing on that mountain. Wouldn't that have been something to to behold and can you imagine just, just seeing a glimpse of the glory of Jesus? All of God veiled in human flesh, pulled back for just a moment in time. This word glistering is not one that's used often. It's the same word for the word lightning. Can you imagine looking lightning in the face? And that's basically what happened here in this passage of Scripture. That's what they saw when they beheld the glory of God in a measure. It's interesting, we call it the Mount of Transfiguration. I think if we were to ask the Lord Jesus what he would have called it, he would have called it a mountain of prayer. Because when you read it, the Bible does not say that he went there to be transfigured. If you read it, the Bible says that he went there to pray. Don't miss that. The Bible says that as he prayed, he was transfigured. There's a powerful lesson in that for us. I think sometimes we're looking for great change to take place. 
And we do everything we can in our own power to create change. And we try to manufacture something or try to figure out some formula for it. But the great message to us is as you pray, as you come into the presence of God, God himself changes you. And it's amazing work that begins to to take place. And here they are on this mountain. And I want to ask you this question here. How many of you have ever done something really dumb? Did you raise your hand? Something you regretted. All right, really, really dumb. I see some wives, uh, Elba and their husbands. Well, we read this passage, and we see that Peter said something really dumb. You know, we we pick on Peter a lot, but the truth of the matter is, uh, I've said a lot worse things than Peter ever thought about saying. But Peter got so excited when he, he saw the glory of the Lord. Listen how he responded in verse 33. And it came to pass, as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Now, if there was a period there, he would have been okay. But there's not a period. He goes on and says, And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Look, when you don't know what you're saying, stop talking. He said, it says here, he, he, he wanted to stay on that mountain. He said, let's build three tents. Let's build one for you. Let's build one for Moses and one for Elijah. And let's just stay here on this mountain. This is a, this is a, a great place to be, a beautiful place to be. And then, of course, a cloud comes. And by the way, sometimes God has to send a cloud, doesn't he? So that we see only Jesus. And sometimes in the midst of our greatest blessings, a cloud will begin to descend and we say, Lord, what is wrong here? And it's not that something's wrong, but it's some, perhaps we have our eyes on the wrong thing. And he sends this cloud, the cloud descended and a voice came and notice what it says here in verse 35. There came a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. By the way, the only voice and the only person on that mountain that really mattered was Jesus. Because he was, he was about to go down into the valley with them here in just a moment. And they had a lot to ponder on that mountain. They had a lot to think about. Uh, I'm a mountain boy. I love the mountains. I grew up in the mountains of West Virginia. And uh, I knew I'd get that from you. And so... We had the opportunity to, to go to West Virginia a few weeks ago. We visited my family for Thanksgiving. And Leslie and I both, we just, we love the mountains. I know a lot of people uh, here, uh, we found out, love the beach. You know, they go to the beach for vacation. And we're just not really beach people. I don't know. We just never have been. We just, we love the mountains. You know, we, we just prefer to get a cabin in the mountains and stay there. But, you know, we, we love just being in the mountains. And, you know, here uh, we live in a valley and we're surrounded by hills. And I think Huntsville is one of the most beautiful places in the world. I love uh, Huntsville and think it's beautiful. But I have to tell you, spiritually speaking, I like the mountain a lot better than the valley. I think we all do, right? We, we love those, those mountaintop experiences that we so often call it. But you see, we don't get to choose where we live all the time. Sometimes the Lord chooses for us. The old Puritan Thomas Manton once wrote that it is the shepherd that chooses the pasture for uh, his sheep. 
You know, if we sheep chose the pasture all the time, I think we would uh, choose the mountain, right? The, the mountain vista, just the, the splendor and the beauty of the mountain. That's where it's most beautiful. And the Lord changes the surrounding here. Look at verse 37. And it came to pass that on the next day, and by the way, there will always be a next day, right? We could have the greatest, most God-blessed meeting in the history of Friendship Baptist Church, but there's going to come a Monday, right? There's always a next day. We could have the most perfect week you ever imagined. Family's good. Everybody's healthy. Life's good. Bonus at work. Everything's going exactly like you think it should go. And then the next day. And it says here in verse 37 that on the next day, when they were come down from the hill, much people met him. Now, I'd like for you to go back to verse 28 and mark these words, went up into a mountain. And then I'd like for you to come to verse 37 and mark these words, come down from the hill. See, we like to go up into the mountain. But if you go up into a mountain, be sure of this, you will always come down from that hill. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning and on this subject, lessons to be learned in the valley. Lessons to be learned in the valley. I think I enjoy the lessons God teaches me on the mountain. By the way, I I believe the Lord Jesus loved to teach on the mountain. You read scripture and, and his most famous sermon is called the Sermon on the what? The Mount. He gave the famous Olivet Discourse. On the Mount of Olives. He often, you read through uh, scripture and he took his disciples up into a mountain to pray. To instruct them, to teach them. I think this Mount of Transfiguration, this mountain of prayer, was a great uh, mountain of teaching for Peter, James, and John. But please, hear this. There are some lessons that you cannot learn on the mountain. There are some things that you just can't learn when when all is well and it seems like God is blessing and Everything is as it should be. Some things you can't learn. No matter how hard you try, no matter how bad you want to build a tabernacle and stay there, there are some lessons that can never be fully understood and experienced and even really made your own until the Lord Jesus takes you by the hand and leads you into a valley where you have to trust him. There's a hymn that we sing here often, and you'll know it. Here's the chorus, follow, follow. I would follow Jesus anywhere, everywhere. I would follow on. You know how every verse of that song begins? Down in the valley with my Savior, I would go. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I like the mountain much better than the valley, but Jesus knows what's best for every last one of us. Jesus knows exactly what we need and when we need it. He knows uh, when to bring us up to the mountain, and he knows when to bring us very low in the valley. And uh, I want you to know this. This is so encouraging to me. And we all know this, but sometimes we forget it. The same God that is with us on the mountain is the exact same God, loving Father, who is with us in the valley. Right? And we forget that sometimes. First Kings chapter 20. You don't have to turn there, but I'll just read a verse here. The Syrians are threatening the nation of Israel. Here's what they said about Israel, really more importantly about Israel's God. Don't miss this. Verse, chapter 20 of 1 Kings, verse 28. The Bible says, And there came a man of God and spake unto the king of Israel and said, Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said, 
The Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore will I deliver all this great multitude into thine hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. The Syrians said, we've seen Jehovah. We've, we've seen the, the God of Israel. We've seen your God. And, and we've seen your God deliver you on the mountain. We've seen great victories on the mountain. But he says, we've, they say here, we've never seen him bring such victory in the valley. And God says here, just because you said that, I'm going to let you defeat them in the middle of the valley. So you will know, so everyone around will know that God is not bound by geography. God's not bound by our circumstances. God's at work in every circumstance of life. And I don't know what your valley is at the moment. I know that we all experience times in the valley. But I want you to know that God is there. And not only is he there, but he's speaking and he's teaching and listen to him just whisper in your ear. When we say, Lord, I don't understand it. I, I don't know why I have to walk through this valley. And the Lord says, pay very close attention. This is my classroom. He said, I'm trying to teach you. I'm trying to instruct you. So what are some of the lessons that we see here in this passage? Well, let's go back to our story in Luke chapter 9. And let's kind of walk through this valley experience. Now, remember... Uh, the, the most fertile ground is in the valley. That's where the most, the most fruitful things grow, there in the valley. As a matter of fact, uh, Jesus is called the lily of the what? The valley. And look, you're going to meet Jesus in that valley. That's, that's, that's something to give you hope. That, hey, when I do go through these valleys, God is there. And God is teaching and he's instructing. Look at verse 37 here of Luke 9. Again, it says, And it came to pass... That on the next day, when they were come down from the hill, much people met him. And behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is mine only child. And lo, a spirit taketh him, and he suddenly crieth out, and it teareth him that he foameth again, and bruising him hardly departeth from him. I'd like for you to write these lessons down, if you would, please. Here's the first one. The first great lesson to learn in the valley is this. God wants you to extend his love to other hurting people. When you're in the valley, God wants you to extend his love to other hurting people. See, as long as we live on the mountain, just basking in the glow, enjoying the blessings of God, just enjoying the love of God for ourselves, we miss the point sometimes of why God has let us live. How many of you have been saved for more than 20 years? More than 20 years. Okay? More than 10 years. Okay? So a lot of us. Let me ask you this question. Why did God let you get saved and continue to live? I mean, if all there is is to, just, is to getting to know God is just to get saved, then why don't we just end our lives immediately? And go home to glory. I mean, that seems to make sense to me. That if this is all there is to knowing God. Is okay, I come to him for salvation. I'm saved. I have a home in heaven. Let's just, let's just quit playing games. And let's just go be with him, right? If that's all there is. But this is what I believe. God saved you. And he keeps you on this planet. 
Because he wants his love and his grace and his mercy to not just flow to you, but to flow through you. God wants, God wants to do a work in your life where you would extend those things to other people. Right? To give what we've been given. Uh, we owe a debt. We, we owe so much. God has given us so much. And we're to extend those things to other people. And Peter said, let's just stay here on the mountain. And what Peter didn't know that Jesus did know was that at the foot of that mountain, the Bible says there was much people. Much people. This is the story of our world. A world filled with much people. Seven billion people that are in desperate need of Jesus Christ. Seven billion souls for whom Jesus died, who, who have never once ascended the mountain with him. Who, who have never once caught a glimpse of his glory like they did. Who never once heard about his love or experienced his peace in their heart when they go to bed at night. Or experienced purpose in their life when they wake up in the morning. Much people need who you have. Now, wait a minute. Let's look here. It's not just the story of the multitudes, but it's the story of individuals. Because the Bible says here, in the midst of much people, there was this man. And I'm thinking like a daddy now. I'm thinking of my, my own son. And uh, how it would be like if my own son was possessed with the devil, like we read here in the story. Every day I watch him, and he's thrashing about, and he's helpless, and he's in bondage. Burned in the fire, another account gives us, nearly drowned in water. No joy, no peace. There's no innocent look on this little boy's face because this little boy is bound by the devil. And isn't that a great picture of every family that doesn't know Christ? I mean, every mother and father who are trying to raise their kids without Jesus Christ. It's a sad thing. Every little boy and little girl growing up in this world without hope. Now, they're not all demon-possessed, but they're bound by the devil, right? They're, they're ensnared by the enemy, and he's laughing them all the way to hell. You know, I see our children every Sunday across this campus, and just, I look at their beautiful faces, they come in, and, and they have their Bibles, many of them, and they come to class, and it's just so exciting to, to see what goes on here. Every week, just these little children going to class and learning about Christ. But there's an entire generation of young people like this boy that need the hope and the help that only Jesus can bring. So many needful people. And I think of even our Good News Club. Now, I haven't been involved in the Good News Club this year. Uh, last year, I was heavily involved in it. And Tim's right, you do. You go there and you just fall in love with these kids. And uh, it's just, it's exciting to, for, you know, when they see you every week, they come up and they give you a hug and they're just happy to see you. And I think about those kids and then I think, you know, we have to get off the mountain to meet them. You see, I think most of us are just so stinking selfish that when we start going through the valleys of life, we think it's all about us. Right, we're we're so inward focused when we're when we're in these valleys, and we're so ignorant to think that our experiences and difficulties are all because of something with us. 
But have you ever stopped to ponder that maybe God lets you go to the hospital, not for you, but for the person in the bed beside you? Right? Or, or, or maybe have you ever thought that you lost one job so that God and his sovereignty would put you in, in a place that needs a gospel witness? You see, when we go through these valleys, we have to stop thinking so much about ourselves and think about, okay, what is God teaching me? Right? What, 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 what is the purpose of this, this valley in my life? What is God trying to do? And there's so many people, just like this demon-possessed boy, that need our Savior. There's a lot of divine appointments in the valleys, a lot of divine intersections. In Mark's account of this same story, the dad cries out and says this, If thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. You know, I hear those desperate words of that man in the cry of our, our entire world. Just people, they, they, they want hope. I think people want help. And I think so, so often we're so busy beating up people uh, a lot of times. And, and, you know, we can be very discouraging sometimes as Christians. When all people need, and, and I'm not saying to minimize sin or I'm not saying any of that, but people need hope and, and they need to be loved and helped. They need to have compassion. That's what this man was crying out. Oh, God, have compassion on us. So in your valley, God expects you to extend what you found on the mountain. Extend the one that you were with on the mountain to a world of hurting people. Let them know that Christ loves them, Christ cares for them, and he can help them when no one else can. I heard an encouraging story just this past Wednesday. Uh, I made these uh, little cards here. You've probably seen them uh, out there in the foyer. And it's just a little uh, business card uh, size uh, that says Friendship Baptist Church. It has our information on it, our address and website and um, uh, service times. So it's just a little invite to give to people. But on the front, it says, find hope. And uh, someone just Wednesday night, a lady here in our church, she came to me and she said, hey, Daniel, did you make these cards? I said, yeah, I did. And she said, well, I wanted to thank you for that, she said, I was, I was in uh, somewhere getting my nails done the other day. And this lady that was doing my nails, she just, she, she just poured her heart out. She, she just started telling me about these different problems that she was having in her family. And, and how uh, she has a, a 16-year-old son. And his father passed away about a year ago. And he's just closed down. I mean, he, he doesn't want to go to school. He doesn't want friends to come over. He, he just locks himself in his room. And she said to one of our church members, she said, I'm really just, I'm really worried about him. And she remembers, she's like, oh, I have one of these cards in my, in my purse. And so she had the opportunity to talk to her about the Lord. And she gave her one of these cards and, and it said, find hope on the front. She just told me how that lady recognized that, you know, that, hey, there's hope. And uh, that's what people need. And that was the cry of this, this father. God, have compassion. God, show compassion. Help my, help my little boy. And that's the cry of our entire world. There's a second lesson here. Would you write it down, please? Not only there's, is there a lesson to extend the love of God to others, but secondly, a lesson to expect spiritual opposition. Expect spiritual opposition. 
Why is it that we're so surprised when the devil fights? Like he would applaud our efforts. Like he would be glad for what we're doing. How do you think all this is going to end? In a battle, right? And, and, and by the way, who's going to be the victor? Our God, we know, is already the victor. The Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So if it's going to end in a battle, what do you think it's going to be like between now and then? Battle after battle after battle, right? That's what we've experienced in this life. Is, it's just seems to be one thing after another. Battle after battle. Because the devil is, is gearing up. And guess where he's turned his big guns on? I believe he's turned them on the families and young people. Someone asks, where are the front lines in this spiritual battle? I would say, look at where all the casualties are. Look at, look at where all the attacks seem to be zeroed in on the minds of little children, on the purity of our young people, on the home. The home has just been uh, disrupted. Look at where the devil's attacking. The Bible says, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. Look, they persecuted Christ. They're going to persecute you. Right? It's part of life. It's, 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 what, it's what the devil is, is working on. It's what he's doing. In the valley, there's going to be some spiritual opposition. The devil is the accuser of the brethren. You know, a lot of times we talk about the, the devil's temptations. And he is that. Okay? He, the, the Bible says that he is a tempter. But I think one of his greatest works is this work of accusation. What he does is he tempts a man to sin, and, and, and someone sins, and then he comes over here and he accuses, look at what you've done. I can't believe you did that. And, and he has this work of, of accusation. And by the way, his accusation is not confined to the secret place. His accusation works in families. It works in churches. He accuses you to God and God to you. He'll accuse you to, to somebody else and somebody else to you. You know, every thought that comes to our mind about someone didn't come from God. Okay, the devil is working. He's an accuser. And I tell you that because the devil plants these seeds of accusation. He works to bring division and disruption in, in the body of Christ. Why? Because he knows that if we were to live uh, in one accord, if we were to have unity... And, and love, and we're all on the same page and working toward the same goal, then, then God's uh, blessing would be upon us. And he doesn't want that. So the devil's working. Notice this descriptive phrase in our passage, Luke chapter 9 and verse 40. The Bible says, And I besought thy disciples to cast him out. And they could not. And Jesus answering said, O faithless and perverse generation, we're going to come back to that in a minute, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring thy son hither. I love the tenderness of Jesus here. Is he angry? Yes, absolutely. He's angry at this faithless group of people, but he's not angry at this little boy. And I think with compassion, he says, just bring him to me. By the way, when Jesus heard that the father say, he is my only son, you think he could identify with that? And I think the heart of the only begotten son of God says, bring your son to me. Notice in verse 42. And as he was yet a coming, notice this, the devil threw him down and tear him. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and delivered him again to his father. Here's the phrase, the devil threw him down. 
Can I tell you that the Lord is always seeking to build men up, and the devil is always seeking to throw them down. If you find something that God ordains, you can be very sure that Satan will oppose it. I mean, just think about it. Think about the creation account. Uh, God made trees, and Satan didn't do anything. God made the birds and, and the water, and Satan didn't do anything. And then God made man and gave him the capacity to, to fellowship with uh, the Creator and to reflect his glory. And immediately we see the devil goes to work. You know, God has ordained your home. So the devil is after it. And God gave you and me these precious children that I mentioned earlier to teach and instruct. And the devil's after them. God raised up this church, I believe. And God did this. And the devil wants to destroy it. And God gave us a pastor who loves the Lord. And he loves people. I'm thankful for our pastor. And he leads us like a shepherd would. But the devil would like to have him. God ordained that we witness and give the gospel. The devil tries to hinder that. God made it so that we can pray and we can get things from God. So what do we do? We've experienced this. We go into the prayer closet and we pray. We make our requests before God. And all of a sudden, what happens? All these distracting thoughts come to our mind. Our mind is cluttered. And that's called spiritual warfare. Because the devil, I believe, is doing everything he can to oppose what God wants to do in this world. So in the valley, we extend the love of God to others. In the valley, you expect spiritual opposition. But there's a third truth. And I don't want you to miss this. In the valley, here's the lesson. You must exercise faith every day. Every day. Look at Luke chapter 9 and verse 40. What's it say of these disciples? It says, and they could not. Well, I believe they wanted to. You know, at least nine of the disciples had been left at the foot of the mountain. They wanted to heal this boy, but the Bible says here they could not. And we're not left, into the, uh, we're not left in the dark as to why that was. Look at verse 41. And Jesus answering said, O faithless and perverse generation. Someone may say, well, he, you know, he, he's talking to the dad. No, because the dad had the faith to bring him to Jesus. So who, who would he be talking about here? You see, what we want to do is preach about this world's lack of faith, right? Well, what about our lack of faith? Uh, what about us Christians, us believers? Let's talk about our lack of faith. Uh, who is this faithless and perverse generation? We like to focus on that perverse generation, right? Who is the perverse generation? Somebody says, well, these uh, sodomites or whatever, you know. Well, hang on. Who is the faithless and perverse generation? See, here's what's interesting to me. We always want to preach on the second part of this phrase and not the first. We want to preach on, on the perverse generation. You know why they're perverse? Because they're faithless. You know what your great sin is and what my great sin is as good, church-going, God-fearing people are? We don't believe God like we ought to believe God. We, we need help, right? We, we, we lack faith. By the way, it's easy to believe Him when you're on the mountain and you're beholding the glory of God. 
But listen, that is not faith. That's sight. We, 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 when you can see it all happening and, and, and you see the blessing of God and you can understand, okay, this is what God's doing and we're enjoying his presence and someone says, well, we're really living by faith now. No, that's not faith. That's not living by faith. That's, that's sight. That's what we can see. We're living by faith when we get down in the middle of a valley and the clouds settle in, the devil's fighting, things aren't going well. We have questions, we don't understand, the battle's hot and intense, and we're wondering, where is God? It's in that moment that we have to have faith in God, and we have to keep our eyes on Him. See, the great temptation in the valley is to get your eyes on yourself, and to get your eyes on other people. In the valley of all places, this is where we need to look to him, the author and finish for our faith. And by the way, yesterday's faith won't get it done. This is what I believe. Every morning when you get up, you have to start all over. Right? Yesterday's faith isn't going to work. This is a daily thing. You say, well, why do you think that? Well, did you know that earlier in this same chapter, these disciples... Cast out devils. The Bible says there, the beginning of Luke 9, you can read it for yourself. Right before this story, Jesus sends them on this preaching mission. They came back, and guess what they were excited about? They said, even the devils are subject unto us. And now here we see, just moments later, the same disciples are powerless to cast one demon out of one little boy. Why? Because yesterday's faith isn't going to get it done. We have to come to God every single day of our life and say, Lord, I am weak. God, I, I, I need you. I don't know what you're doing. I don't understand it all. The devil is, is giving me fits. But God, I believe. God, I believe. Look at Mark chapter 9. Or No, you don't have to turn there. We'll, we'll, I'll leave, let you stay in Luke 9. But this is just a parallel account. In Mark chapter 9, if you want to jot it down, verse 22, the Bible says this, And oft times it hath cast him into the fire, into the waters. This is the dad talking about his boy. Oftentimes it cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. And then he says this, we, I, I mentioned this earlier, But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Verse 23, Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible. To him that believeth. Here's what we do. We get in the middle of a valley and we look up to God and say, God, you know, I, I, I know you're God and I know you're really powerful, but Lord, if there's just anything you can do in my circumstance, that's not faith. The answer of heaven back to us is this. If thou canst believe. By the way, I love the answer of this man. It's so transparent and honest. I love this. His faith wasn't perfect. He said, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. You know, some of you this morning might be so weak. And you say, you know, I just, I don't even want to sing the hymns anymore. There's no joy anymore. You might even be saying, I really don't even want to be sitting here listening to you preach. I'm just here out of duty. I'm here because I feel like I'm supposed to be here. Well, listen, even if you can't say, I believe, start here. Lord, help my unbelief. 
right? That's a great prayer to pray. Lord, help, help me to just believe again. Matthew chapter 7, another account of this story. In verse 19, the Bible says, Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could we not cast him out? And here's Jesus' answer, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If you have faith as grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. And then notice this verse, verse 21, Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. If you want to test your faith life today, I would say look at your prayer life. Right? What's your prayer life like? Because that's very evident of your faith life. How much time have you spent with the Lord alone this week? Just you and Jesus. Sometimes, you know, it seems here like, like the Lord is really trying to teach these disciples something about prayer. And, and there's a connection with, with prayer and the faith uh, life. He took them up on a mountain. And what was he doing up on the mountain? Remember, he was praying. It says he went there to pray. He comes down the valley. You have a bunch of powerless Christians living down there, not getting anything done. What's his lesson to them? You need to pray. Right? God's people, we, we need to learn to, to pray and to, to believe God. Bring our cares and cast them on the Lord. In the valley, you learn this, not on the mountain, to exercise faith in God every single day. The funny thing about these mountains and valleys is that they're connected. You see, God's uh, valley work is just as important as God's mountain work, maybe even more so. And we say sometimes, Lord, give me the mountains, right? Lord, I, I want a mountaintop experience, God. Give me the mountains. Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is a classic passage of Mount Calvary. If you want a, if you want a great picture of Mount Calvary, study Psalm 22. Psalm 24, Mount Zion. Here you read about the new Jerusalem and all the believers, the glory of God, the angelic choir singing. Somebody says, I like that mountain. Okay, look here. Psalm 22, Mount Calvary. Psalm 24, Mount Zion. What's in the middle? Psalm 23. What's it say in Psalm 23? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. If you want to get from one mountain to the next, God's going to take you through some valleys. That's how it works. That's how it works. If you want mountaintop experiences, God is going to take you through some things. And in the valley, you're going to learn to die. That's the lesson to learn in the valley. You're going to learn to die so you can live. Look back here in Luke 9. You see, we stopped the, the story too early. Notice here, the boy is healed. The father's happy. Everything's good. Look at verse 43. You can take all three of these lessons we've learned and boil them down to this one thing. Verse 43 says, And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. But while they wondered, everyone at all things which Jesus did, he said unto his disciples, Let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. But they understood not this saying, and it was hid from them, that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. You say, I, I don't get it. Well, let me illustrate. Jesus here, he, he just healed a boy. Right? He just changed his life. Multitudes are standing around and they're applauding him and some even saying, that man ought to be king. 
His popularity is at its peak. Everyone's patting him on the back, and at that moment, we see Jesus takes his disciples apart. He looks them in the face and says, I want you to know, I'm getting ready to go to a cross. Did you know that every single valley will lead you to a cross? Your own. You see, it's in the valley where we have to learn to die. That's the great lesson in this valley, that I am nothing. And apart from God, I can do nothing. And Jesus doesn't need me, but I sure do need him. And by the way, do you know why I believe he keeps taking us through these valleys time and time again? It's because we keep forgetting that. I think sometimes we forget that we, we need Jesus Christ, not just for salvation. Okay, you need him for salvation. And maybe there's someone here this, this morning that's never trusted Christ as Savior. And, and our message to you is you need Christ. You need Christ. But here's the thing, as believers, and something that I'm learning more and more every day, is even as a believer, I I need Christ every day. And that's the lesson that that we need to to learn here, because I, I do, I forget that sometimes. Did you know that the Lord had already tried to teach these disciples about death to self? Look at it here in verse 23 of Luke 9. This is before the Mount of Transfiguration. Okay, this is before any of this took place. Look at what he said in verse 23. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. They heard that message. Then he takes them up on a mountain and notice what he talked about on the mountain. Look at verse 31. The Bible says there that he spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. So in the last valley, he's talking about the cross. On the mountain, he's talking about the cross. And now he's back in the valley, and guess what he's talking about? The cross. You see, the problem with us is we want to force our way through things. We want to take matters into our own hands, right? We want to fix the problem. We want to fix everyone else. And God says, that's not what I want you to do. What I want you to do is keep your eyes on the cross. He says, I want you to reckon yourself dead and helpless, and, and all of your power is nothing but weakness. Right? So in the midst of this valley, I, I want to amaze you with my power. What's the lesson in the valley? It's the lesson of the cross of Jesus Christ. We want the power of his resurrection. Right? We, we want God's power, but we want it without the fellowship of his sufferings. We want it without this little caveat of being conformable unto his death. So, whatever your valley is right now, and I don't know what it is. Okay, I don't know what you're going through, but I know Jesus does. And whatever the valley is, the great lesson that he wants you to learn is to reckon yourself dead, yield yourself to his perfect wisdom, yield yourself to his perfect power, and just see, just see, just sit back and watch what Jesus will do. These are some just simple lessons that you can learn in the valley. We need to extend 
God's love to other people. Right? Expect opposition. Because there's there there are going to be there's going to be opposition in the valley, that's for sure. And then wow, we need to have faith every single day. We need the gospel, don't we? This is what I want uh, to do. I'm going to pray and and um, and we'll be finished. But this is my challenge to you this week. Before you leave, I, I'd like for you to go out these doors and turn left. There's a, a rack on the wall that has these cards. And just take one card, and I want you to pray over it. And say, God, I want you to bring, to put someone in my path this week that needs hope. And uh, that shouldn't be hard to find, right? I mean, there's so many people that need hope. Lord, bring someone in my path this week that needs hope. And give me an opportunity to just give them this card. And just to share your love, and to share your kindness, and just try to be helped to someone. And uh, let's just sit back and, and see what God does with that. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you so much for, for your word. And Lord, for this simple story. Lord, we, we, we all know this story. And uh, many of us have read this story uh, many, many times. And, Lord, there are so many lessons for us to learn. And, God, I I pray, Lord, that you would help us in the valleys. Lord, help us to to be aware of of when we're on the mountain and, and enjoy the blessing of God. Lord, it's wonderful to be on the mountain. But, Lord, when we go through these valleys, I pray that we would... Not just just sit and, and complain and just wait for it to pass. But God, that we would be thinking, okay, what, what do you have for me? Why is this happening? Who can I help during this, this valley experience? And God, maybe there, there are some people here uh, this morning that need hope. Or they need help. And they're going through the valley right now as we speak. And God, I pray that you would send a brother or sister in Christ into their life to build them up and to encourage them and help them. And Lord, if if there's maybe someone here that doesn't know you, Lord, they are without God and without hope on their way to hell. Lord, if that's someone this morning, I pray that they wouldn't leave this place without talking to someone first about, hey, I, I need hope. I need Christ. And Lord, give us the, the, uh, the wisdom there to help them. And uh, Lord, we'll thank you and we'll praise you for all that you do. Lord, we love you. And we pray that you would give us a good day today. For it's in the Lord Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, thank you guys. And uh, no choir tonight, right? Children's choir? No? No children's choir?